If you liked it, then you should have put a ring-shaped device designed to wipe out all sentient life on it. everybody, it is the 6th of May, 2015. This is Red Pages Podcast. I'm Justin, and I am an odd gentleman. I'm Gord, and I am Master Chef. I'm Paul, and I'm a surprisingly stable giant space ring. And today we've got with us not one, but two, two count one, two guests. Guests, who are you? My name is Paul Beleza. I work at Riot Games, but in a past life I, uh, Worked at a company called The Odd Gentleman and made a game called The Misadventures of P.D. Winterbottom. I'm Joe Tung. Uh, I also work at Riot Games. Uh, and in my past life, uh, I worked at uh, Bungie Game Studios. So we will uh, we will talk to you both about your, your careers at those places in a very, very short bit. But first, we have some segments to get through. Do, how do we want to do this? Do you want to go um, one of us and then one of you guys and alternate? Yeah, that seems, that seems pretty good. Reasonable? Okay. Who wants to go first? Paul, you saw the Avengers, which is probably the thing that people care about the most this week. So why don't All you right, tell us about sweet. that? I saw um, Avengers: Age of Google Ultron, um, which is great because, uh, I, I, well, I, I enjoyed the movie for the most part. A little bit upset at some of the characterization uh, that caused like a huge Twitter backlash thing, and now Joss Whedon's off Twitter, but sort of unrelated to all that, I guess. I don't know. Um, Age, of, Age of Ultron was pretty good. It, it seems like it's getting uh, really bloated in the amount of characters that they have there. They kind of introduced like uh, an Avengers B team at the end, which was so. Are they going to get their own movie? I don't know. I don't know how this next two movie movies going to come uh, like happen. And was that the, I, uh, I also learned the that humans. What was that? The uh, Inhumans? No. There's oh. nothing of that sort that was touched. I think that might be a a TV only thing. Because huh. uh, I know they're getting. I think they're getting a movie in 2017. I, I, yeah, I think I think they're planning on having uh, two more Avengers movies, uh, which are a, a two part series to uh, for the final movie in this uh, increasingly incorrectly titled trilogy. <laughs> Because, uh, uh, yeah, the Infinity Wars is coming out in, I think, 2017, and the Part 2 is coming out in 2018, and it, it's got to do with uh, Thanos and his uh, Infinity Gauntlet, which has been teased in every single movie in the past, like, two years, I think. Mm. Uh, the okay, most so... important part is Howard the Duck. Oh, yeah, that's... Is that happening still? I no, <laughs> it's part of the Gauntlet. All right. Right. So it sound, sounds like you liked it. Oh, it was... It was uh, 7 out of 10. It'll blow you away. Uh, I'll give it... IG, that's the IGN.com <laughs> review. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, it, it felt long, uh, to be honest. It was... Um, I, I felt myself, like, becoming increasingly aware as we came into, like, the final giant fight scene of how long the movie was. It only two and a half hours, but, like... It, only, only two, two and, and a half, half hours, right? Okay. Uh, so that was 
uh, Avengers. Um, I also finally finished Daredevil, uh, which is which is great. Um, good. I, I mean, I'm a little bit upset with how it ended, uh, just because like, um, think like I was thinking about um, how amazing like the first two episodes were and how great the single shot fight scene was, um, and then looking again at the final fight scene, I was like, oh, two dudes are just punching each other in an alley. Really cool. He did that one sweet flip. That right, seemed yeah. a little unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I kind of uh, question Wilson Fisk's, uh, uh, I guess, the move of just, like, raising uh, Murdoch up and then just dropping him, going, yep, this, that, that totally did it. It wasn't like the 20 punches that I put into him. Or the five headbutts. Spoilers, bro. <laughs> or the, uh, the the bunch of sharp things that. Uh, or yeah, into. exactly. So, as as a little disappointing. I'm I'm super excited about it. Having having not seen the show, I have now learned that in Daredevil, people get punched. Yep. <laughs> exactly. I was disappointed in his origin story. I don't remember. I mean, I, I would have to read the comics, I guess, all the way back. But like. To me, Daredevil was always just this blind dude. But no, he actually did get stuff. No, he, he, I think it was always that he got uh, radioactively blinded, or it might have oh, been uh, the Frank Miller interpretation that set that mythos into place. Mm. And it, like the show seems to uh, build a lot on the Frank Miller uh, interpretation of Daredevil. Yeah, it's really dark. <laughs> yeah. Pe- people are, like, really dying. This is easily the one of the most uh, dark and violent Marvel properties we've seen in a while. I was surprised or when... Uh, Marvel Cinematic Properties. Uh, when something happened to Ben that I won't spoil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Let's, let's be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's not ruin this for right, our listeners, sure, I think. Sure. You recommended it highly last yes, week. Yes, st- still recommend it highly. It's great. Uh, well, it's, only, it's only like 13 episodes? 12? Signed for a second <laughs> season. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm excited. Like, it's... It's got a lot of good things for it, uh, except for people dying. Um, I wish they hadn't killed so many people. Mm. Uh, I also, I finally caught up on Game of Thrones, uh, which I failed to mention last week, and it's starting to veer off from the books a lot now, so I think from now on, every week is going to be actually genuinely interesting, because a lot of stuff that I don't already know is going to happen. Which is great. Oh, sweet! Yeah. So I can stop worrying about uh, spoiling the end of the story for everyone because it's uh, just going to be a completely sure. different story. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, story. maybe. I mean, spoiler: like, people you care about die. Yeah, that's true. All right, but I'll uh, finally. Uh, I've, I've been oh. watching Community season six, which is which went from being a TV a TV show to a show on the internet. Which is weird, but it's still funny and pretty good. So I'm going to keep watching it. All right. So um, I guess who who's next? Other Paul. Let's have Other Paul go. Hi. What have what have, what have you been up to lately? That's that's cool or uh, cooler or you want to recommend like TV show or a a movie or something? Um, you know, or a book. If you read a book, that's also good. You know, um. To be honest, I'm kind of catching up on a lot of old stuff. So uh, that's fine. The series- believe believe me, a lot of our a lot of our 
discussions are about old okay, stuff. No, we're, we're surprisingly up to date. This <laughs> so, I once recommended. Uh, so I watch a lot of television. I watch all. I, I believe to understand the good, you have to watch the bad, and 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 watch all things if you can. So I've been watching um, the old CW series, which is on its like eleventh season, Supernatural, for the past like five months. <laughs> nice. <laughs> It's taken my wife and I five months to get, like, halfway through it. And at first I was like, what is this Scooby-Doo nonsense? But then it started to really get good around season four. And then it gets super meta, like, pokes fun at the conventions of the type of show it is. It's very self-aware and even kind of, like, winks and, and makes fun of its audience in a, in a funny, awesome way. And I, I'm, I've come to believe that it is genius. So when you say it's like Scooby Doo, does it also star Casey Kasem? Uh no, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Oh. It okay. But the show goes from being Scooby Doo to like having an epic, quote unquote, epic plot, and it's been pretty entertaining to watch. Is that still running? Yeah, it's uh, season eleven, I believe. Oh, okay. So you'll you'll be in there for a while, yes. I guess. Yes, I'm in. I'm all in. Cool. Any other uh, any other things you want to go for? I just playing a lot of Bloodborne, getting my ass kicked. Uh, okay. Dungeon. I'm kind of obsessed with that game right now. Cool. We actually will do an entire section just for games right after this one before we get to the interview. So I definitely want to hear all about Bloodborne. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially because I would like to play it and I don't own a PS4. None of us on a PS4. So. Yep. Or apparently an iOS device that's more than a year old. <laughs> uh, more on that later. So, Gord, what about you? You can go next. All right. Uh, let's see. Watched a couple of movies, read some books, uh, discovered a new webcomic. I've been continuing to watch, still entitled, The uh, Adam Savage Project. Uh, it's uh, a podcast with uh, one of the Mythbusters dudes and uh, the dudes from Tested. We've got some... Uh, is, it the, is it the walrus or the other guy? <laughs> the other guy. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's good. He's... He's a, a huge, he's huge into the, uh, the, the, the maker philosophy. Um, and he's got, he's actually got another show with the tested dudes called, uh, One Day Builds, where he will just completely document, uh, every step of a project. And it's cool. Um, let's see, what else was there? The webcomic is The Last Halloween, which was, uh, surprisingly refreshing. It's by Abby Howard, who did, oh, yeah. was on, uh, Strip Search. Yeah, that's how I found out about that one. Yeah, <laughs> I found out about it by uh, reading through all of her uh, her other comic, uh, JS Power Hour, and reading the comments underneath saying, I've been working on this comic. It's it's a thing that you can click on. And click what, was on the na- what was the name of that? Last Halloween. It's a little, it's a bit, um, let's see. There, there's definitely some John and Vasquez there. Um, okay. Uh, Maybe like a cross between Invader Zim and Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Um, we're, pull, we're, we're pulling it up right now. This is what I imagine your indie game to look like. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a good aesthetic. This is pretty cool. So, based on the title, does it there just are no more Halloweens after this? So, there are no humans after this. Okay, that would <laughs> preclude Halloween's, I guess. Although, would it, right? Like, the calendar doesn't stop rolling just because there are no people. Right, but, I mean, Halloween is a largely human invention. Like, if all the people disappear, like, would the animals celebrate Halloween? 
Probably no, not. No, but I'm uh, pretty sure that, we, as is dictated to us from history, Halloween is uh, a celebration given to us by the demons and devils. <laughs> they would still celebrate, right? That's yeah, fair, yeah. that's true. So the, uh, the world building is pretty cool. Um, there's, uh, so there's our world and the shadow world, and in the shadow world, everything is uh, a lot worse. And uh, instead of people, uh, there is one monster for every human being in our right. world. I thought the shadow and, world was where people died in Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> oh, you beat me! You beat me to the joke. I was gonna. <laughs> okay, continue. Uh, and uh, it, every every person's monster is uniquely good at terrifying and murdering that person. Um, and uh, huh. if that person huh. in the real world dies, that person's monster dies, unless that person's monster is the one to kill that person, in which case that monster becomes immortal. Huh, so there's some real incentive there. Yeah, except there's this, uh, there's this, this, this person, this role that uh, stands between the two worlds and uh, uh, prevents that from happening. Uh, and at the very beginning of the comic, that person dies. So just immediately, uh, every, okay. every monster jumps into the real world and murders their, uh, their counterpart. Seems like you'd want to put somebody... <laughs> Less disposable <laughs> you, you in that role. But, uh, apparently not. <laughs> the art style is pretty cool. We're kind of looking at the beginning of it. It's pretty, it's pretty neat, actually. Huh. Yeah. Right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably read this tomorrow. A, I'm sad that there isn't more of it because yeah, it's, it's relatively <laughs> new. So I mean, like, it's not gonna have the uh, literal ten years of backlog that you may be used to. Yeah. Nice. Right on. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I was going to say, I can think of some comics that are not 10 years old, but then still have 100,000 pages. Right. This, this is this is also not Homestuck, <laughs> so, you know. Okay. I also watched okay. a, uh, a New Zealand comedy called What We Do in the Shadows, which is a documentary about... <coughs> a, uh, oh, is that the a, vampire one? Yeah, Secret okay. Society of Vampires in New Zealand. <laughs> that was really good. Also pretty dark. There's some uh, some goofy characters. Uh, I, uh, my wife and I watched some Star Wars. Uh, we watched, unfortunately, the, uh, the version of New Hope that we pulled up was the, uh, the wrong one. It was the one with all the CG crap, uh, just like... It was, it was actually the Christmas well, it's special. It's the right one, right? It's an awesome <laughs> original cut? Yeah, uh, there are rumors that Disney's going to, uh, release them all, the, the originals on Blu-ray. Ooh. Yeah, I, I actually like the 1997 Original special edition cut on VHS. Yeah, who shot first? Um, that is a problem with it. Yeah, that is totally <laughs> true. I think that was when they changed it to Greedo's shot first. But I do like the, some of the other stuff they added. Um, so, I, like, I like that they put back that scene with Jabba the Hutt in yeah, there. But it's so forced. At the end, Han says, "You're a wonderful human being." Well, because he was a human being. I know, but in the, the script. But it's even funnier now because he's so obviously not. That's totally a Han Solo joke. He would do that. Like that. Like it is entirely. That's that scene is when uh, Han Solo walks on the CG Jabba and he totally like stutters for like four frames because he actually never walked over anything. So it's totally. totally had, uh, yeah. Well, because yep. I I was watching a thing and they were talking about how they had a real problem with that scene because Jabba. You know, in the the way they shot it, it was just a dude standing there, and Harrison Ford walked around him, and they were like, "What do we do? Oh, he'll he'll just stomp on Jabba, and Jabba will have to have some hilarious facial reaction." 
Yep. Hilarious. Yeah, I... And, uh, there are also all of it. Like, there's, uh, when they're pulling into town, there are a couple of robots, and, uh... One, one of them is flying around, and one of them punches the other one, and you go, so, ah! So, I actually... So, I, I would say watch that scene with Jabba in the 1997 version, because in, like, the 2011 or whenever the last release was, they redid it again, and it looks way worse. Oh. Like, the original CG Jabba looks like garbage, but it looks like the sort of garbage that is also the giant puppet they used in Return of the Jedi, just like a giant rubber monster. Yeah, one of my problems and, with it is how very clear it is when the CG is happening. Yeah, and the Jabba in the older one, I think, actually looks way more like the puppet because the CG isn't very good. So it just looks like <laughs> a rubber. Well, yeah, I've got a, I've got an image in, in a photo bucket that compares them. I can throw it in the show notes. Hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, a couple of months ago, we watched the, uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, Harry Potter. Who was it? Topher? Toby? Toby Maguire? Topher Grace? Topher Grace, I think. Made a cut of the first three episodes and just put them all into one movie. And, uh, took out all of the Jar Jar Binks-isms. I heard that was Peter Kane. Yeah. It was good. It didn't feel like the pacing was a little off to me. Um, right. You should, but it was definitely you, the best way to consume that. Uh, <laughs> to balance it out, you should have just watched the super cut of uh, Jar Jar mm. afterwards. Did yeah. you hear that Jar Jar is dead in the new ones that are coming out? Well, year? I mean, it's... How long does he live? I, I, I think it's reasonable for Jar Jar to still be alive. It's only like 20 years between those movies, right? Hmm. I don't know. Anyway, any any other things you want to go for before we yes. move on? Yes, uh, reading Harry Potter. Oh, finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, I read I read I think the the first book and a half when they were the popular thing for everyone to be reading, and I decided that uh, I would pass. Uh, but now I'm uh, too cool for it. But now you're no longer too cool for it. Well, like it was, there was so much pressure to just love it for, and it just wasn't <coughs> thing for me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I've been uh, reading it out loud to uh, to William, so it'll sink down into his subconscious. And okay. uh, I'm enjoying it a lot more this time around. Uh, so when, yeah. when uh, William turns 10 and gets kidnapped by uh, magical <laughs> wizards from the moon, uh, which uh, house <laughs> is he going to end up in? Uh, hmm. Hufflepuff. Probably Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hufflepuff. That's my house, man. Sweet. Okay, I'm sorry I have ins- insinuated something bad about Hufflepuff. <laughs> that's where I imagine all the, the the wizards. That's where they play video games. They share magic treats. Heck yeah, yeah, yeah probably. That yeah. uh, they they're dwell the the toiling, dutiful Hufflepuffs. I don't know. <laughs> they call them something like that in the book. So they get their wow grind on in Hufflepuff. Everybody else <laughs> <laughs> working on their potions. <laughs> All right, um, I guess, Joe, you're next, right? You, you, you're next in line. What about you? For the throne. Yeah, you're, you're the next in line for this particular uh, crown. I would recommend... Uh, I, I've got a kid in a full-time job, so I, I can't really watch, uh, watch as much as I, I would like to these days, but um, I recently saw um, The Jinx, which was a documentary about uh, Robert Durst on HBO. Um, that was uh, really incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, r- really an, an incredible piece of, of 
documentary filmmaking. Um, I, I won't ruin it, but but it doesn't it doesn't ruin the documentary to explain that it's about a guy named Robert Durst who uh, has essentially gotten away with murder for you know his entire life, uh, which is which is a long life, um, and uh, and and that story is is just pretty riveting. He was uh, just all over the news. Yeah, yeah, because he was arrested as a result of the documentary film. Yeah, maybe oh, you should have. Right, con- yeah, maybe you should have confessed to all those murders. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> seems like a bad idea. Yeah, you should. You should watch it. Like what Joe's describing is is right on. You can tell he's very deliberate, and you can see where um, it all just kind of goes south. It was, it's it's it was really surreal to watch. Yeah, very really 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 great documentary. Um, uh, in terms of reading, uh, gosh, I've been, I've been reading pretty, pretty non-exciting stuff. Um, lots of, lots of management books and and so on. Um, I assure you, I have read and talked about something more boring than that on this podcast. Well, I'm reading the, uh, I'm reading the new book by the, the, the head of people ops at Google, um, which is, which is pretty interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm, Waiting to finish it to start on the new William Gibson novel. Oh, I didn't realize that he was still alive. William Gibson? Yeah. Oh, he's 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 alive and kicking, and he's still writing oh, yeah. stuff. What's uh, what's his latest book? It's called The Peripheral. Ooh. I am looking at my copy of Neuromancer, still never finished. Right dude, here, dude. Oh, my. I've started it so many times. And Neuromancer just, is one of my sort of test of so books. Of all. Right, right. Give me, give me the inspiration to get through it, please, because it's sitting next to my bed. All right, and I'm trying to finish it, and I just once you finish that one, there are eight more books in the series, um, and each subsequent book in each of the trilogies is slightly worse. But when so you're done, you can read the first book Guide. of the next trilogy. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hmm. I think that uh, I think that the last book in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series was really, really good. It was just also really depressing because he didn't want to be doing that anymore. Oh, I thought that his conceit was they want me to write this book and I don't want to, so I'll just write the worst book I can, and that'll show those suckers. Well, then he's really <laughs> bad at uh, writing bad books. Okay. Cool. I guess I'm the only one who's left then. Um, I I haven't really watched anything new. I I, I watched some more episodes of The X-Files, but there was nothing really new there. Um, But I did read a really, really cool book uh, called... It's in the 33 and a Third series, which is a series of books put out from Ballantyne. Each book is, I don't know, maybe like 150 pages and is written by a professional music scholar and covers just one album. So you can get one on, like, Pet Sounds or, I don't know, one of the, one of the Beatles albums or Metallica. There are, I don't know, probably a hundred of these. But this one was on uh, Koji Kondo's Super Mario Brothers uh, soundtrack for the original NES game. Huh. And the thesis of the book was that this, you know, three and a half minutes of music was just as important to the sort of development of the way we think about music than any of the greatest albums of the 20th century. And I read that and I went, huh, huh. All right, book, you've intrigued me. I'll, I'll read you and see if you can prove this thesis. And I'm not sure if he did. 
Um, it's by this guy who's a, I guess, a music person out of Yale and <coughs> McGill. So he's definitely qualified. And it was really interesting. To, uh, it was it gave sort of a history of the NES and how the sound programming worked for it and different audio channels and how composers had to use, because there were only three really usable audio channels on the chip, you, they had to do all sorts of crazy stuff to sort of fake seventh chords or ninth chords. Um, it interviewed, I forget who, who like an, one of the American composers for the NES about how it worked. It was just a really, really fascinating book. Um, I would rec- definitely recommend it to anybody who is interested in either music theory or video games music, which is not necessarily a thing that I'm super big on, but uh, this was this was really cool. I would warn that it is heavier on theory than most books that you would most, I guess, like popular books. It does just present you sheet music and expect that you can either read it or hum it in your head or you have a piano or something handy to demonstrate the point that he's trying to make. Um, and that's definitely not a thing that everybody can do. But if this is at all interesting to you, uh, check it out. It's titled uh, Koji Kondo Super Mario Brothers Soundtrack. And it's in just search like 33 and a third plus Super Mario Bros. And you'll find it, I'm sure, on eBay or Amazon or wherever you get your books from. So yeah, that's the only thing I really want to talk about. That's uh, that's and I'm, I'm the last one. So why don't we why don't we wrap this segment up and go into the games segment? Transition oh, now. We, we just saw the uh, the Java image you put up, and you're right. He looked like garbage in 1997. Yeah, I know. Right? He does. It's awful. Wow. Yeah, but I think he looks closer to the original than in the new one. He's got way too much texture on him in the new one. Oh, they're both bad. <laughs> no, sure. No, 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 no argument there. Oh, whoa. That's weird. Yeah. He just looks uh, like a fat internet meme. Like, oh, God. <laughs> so here's, it doesn't show it in this picture, but if you look at the way his tail uh, lies in the original 1997 one, it just sort of melts into the ground. Yeah, it doesn't, have, an, it doesn't dis- have any distinct curve to it. It's great. I, I actually like that way more. Yeah. He's more like a slug. Some really gross slug. So let's let's go in reverse order, as I think we've we've just been doing lately. Um, what what's a game or two that we've been playing recently that that's cool or we want to talk about? Um, for me, um, I've my I, okay. So the first game, and I published a review on our website. So maybe people have read my review and. As a result, I'll keep this short. But I played uh, the second act of Broken Age. Um, Broken Age, for those who are not aware, is a point-and-click adventure game from Double Fine. Tim Schafer, who did things like Monkey Island, Day of the Tentacle, kickstarted this game, I don't know, a year ago, maybe? No, more than a year ago. The first act came out a year ago. It was really good. I liked it a lot. And the second act is the not-so-thrilling culmination to what was a really good game. The first half avoided a bunch of problems that adventure games had of them, like just inscrutable puzzles or the inability to progress because it'll present you with a problem and not tell you that you don't have the tools to solve that problem. Or just, it, 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 it was funny. Like, the, the the writing was good. It was a pretty game. 
but also every environment, almost every environment was reused from the first act, so it wasn't anything new. The plot kind of went off the rails. The villain's motives were inscrutable. I don't know what happened between the first half of this game that was excellent and the second half that just baffles me. I'm sorry, Double Fine. Uh, I didn't like. I didn't like your game. Oh. Hmm. Um. I, you can read a, a a much longer version of that on on the website. I did try to play uh, the other Double Fine game that came out this week, which was the Grim Fandango remastered on mobile phones. Uh, graciously com- provided to us by them to review, but uh, unfortunately we have no hardware that can run it because you, if you don't have just have the latest iPhone, it's not good enough. So it doesn't have the latest one. You could use the uh, second latest one. Okay, if your iPhone is more than a year old, then it is not something that can run. Which is if we if we bought an iPhone uh, off of the uh, the company tab, could we write it off? Um, probably. Sweet. But I will be able to upgrade mine to the latest model in a couple months for free. So yeah, sure if anything work-related is tax-deductible. Yeah. Related to your job, that's, yeah. a, that's a win. And since we're in entertainment, you pretty much can write off anything within reason that we consume or do. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> anyway. Oh, um, man, so th- I'm going to go get um, all of Train Simulator. With all the DLC and put on the company tab. Oh, all, all four, all, how much is all of the DLC? It's like fourteen hundred dollars, right? Something like that. I think you can get like three thousand if it's on sale. If the I entire think you're mistaking sale. tax deductible with free. Yeah, <laughs> there's a difference. So, the other game that I played um, for real that wasn't made by uh, made by Double Fine was uh, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze from Retro Studios, and man, this is a hard game. It's the Dark Souls of platformers. They just die all the time. It's basically identical to the last Donkey Kong game, the Donkey Kong Country Returns, but that's really all I wanted. That game was great, and this is just, hey, we uh, we made more of that thing. There's really nothing different but about it. You didn't like Donkey Kong Country. It was not a game that I liked at all. Hmm. I liked Donkey Kong Country. Well, I like this game. Um, this game is significantly more difficult than Donkey Kong Country. That's fine. I, okay. I think that this is a way better game than Donkey Kong Country. Just, I, I, this, so the, the prior one was the first Donkey Kong game I enjoyed. Out of the entire Donkey Kong franchise. Is this for 3DS or is this on the Wii U? The first one was on the Wii and 3DS. Yeah. And the second one is on Wii U. But I got it for free from Nintendo. So. It was, it was a thing that I figured oh, I'll play this. Now, is that tax deductible? No, you can't deduct zero dollars. <laughs> I don't have enough. Anyway, I, like I will, I will go into a level in this game and I will die a hundred times. Like no, that is not an exaggeration. I will die a hundred times on on a really hard level. They do it old school, man. They want to push you. Yeah, it's I I haven't run into a level I can't beat yet. That's Nintendo hard. Yeah, but it is it is pulling no punches. Uh, it's pulling no mega punches. That's what the DK wind-up punch is called, right? I don't know. I don't know. DK punch? It's oh, no. gi- giant punch. DK giant punch. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Joe, what about you? What have you, what have you been playing? 
Uh, I I spend uh, probably 90 to 95% of my gaming time on League of Legends these days. Um, is that for work or for fun? Uh, it's it's both, which is okay. is why um, you know I have an awesome job. Uh, <laughs> the the only other the only other thing that I've played pretty recently, um, uh, well, one I, I finally got to experience um, uh, both Valve's VR kit uh, and and the latest Oculus uh, demos, oh. and, and that was really interesting. That was actually the first time I ever used uh, either either the Oculus or, or um, in, any VR uh, kit. Um, uh, and then really soon after I got to use the, the demos, um, I got to play uh, a, a friend of mine uh, who's also from uh, formerly from Bungie uh, is making an independent game uh, called Enemy Starfighter, and uh, I got to play his game using the Oculus, which was which was really a fascinating. Uh, experience, like the first time I had ever actually played a, a game uh, in VR as well, so um, that was a really cool experience. Did you get sick? Did it do motion sickness for you? You know, um, he he does a lot of stuff to to prevent uh, to prevent motion sickness. Um, I definitely felt weird yeah. afterwards for a while, um, and there, like even even just in the course of the demos that that both Valve and, and Oculus have. Um, if if they do the wrong thing, like if they move the camera around while while you're standing still, um, it's really jarring. Yeah. But if they don't and they let you sort of control the pace and and they and it's, it's sort of slow paced in general, um, it's magical. Wow. It's, it's amazing. Um, I, I was a huge skeptic going into it. Also, I was like, oh, this is this is yeah, um, gonna be smoke and mirrors. But uh, it is it's incredible. It's wow. Super super cool. That's cool. So I have not experienced virtual reality probably since 1997. <laughs> I imagine that it has taken a step up since then. You, would you recommend this to just like the average person? When you say 1997, are you saying that you rewatched the Lawnmower Man on TPS? Uh, no, I I went to Disney and did a uh, while I was there. They had like the latest in VR technology that they that you could test out, which was really cool at the time. You had to wear like a virtual uh, boy. You had to wear I don't know like an entire lawnmower on your head. Oh yeah. In yeah. terms of how big it was, but it was really cool. Uh, you went through Agrabah. So, sort of, how is this for like the average person? Is this a thing that's accessible, or is it not really there yet? Oh, think? I, I think it's I think it's super accessible. Um, you know, I don't I don't know uh, what the what the killer app is going to be for the platform. Uh, I, I sort of suspect it'll look more like um, traditional media than than interactive, but uh, but it is for sure there for the average consumer. I mean, I I. I I finished the demo and I, I thought to myself, wow, this is what my, my daughter is going to grow up primarily interacting with, you know, as opposed to TV or, or film. Uh, the Matrix is now. It is. Finally, now we can all be Norman Jaden. Cool. That- all right. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Heavy rain. Yeah, I was beside like, yeah. I was like, man, I'm going to Google that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, I, uh, he's a character in Heavy I Rain. Never played, he's a I never played Heavy Rain. Detective. And uh, okay. he's the only person in the entire game who has this technology, but he's just got wow. his virtual reality kit where he puts on these glasses and he interacts with a bunch of stuff that no one else can see. Oh, so he's got Google Glass. Yeah, exactly. But we decided that he's a time traveler, 
and no one else. These other time travelers are crazy, and that explains uh, why you, uh, he's just such an anachronism. Did you? Uh, did any of you ever read the book When I Reach You? Nope. Nope. Ah, okay. The there was one of the conceits of that book was that a guy discovered time travel, but sending somebody back in time makes them go crazy, so he just turned into a street hobo and kept trying to tell people that he was from the future, but because he was a crazy hobo, no one believed him. I know 30 guys like that. <laughs> uh, that sounds like uh, Crichton's timeline. Um, it was actually a book based on A Wrinkle in Time, ah. which is really cool. Neat. Um, I would, would recommend. I think it won the the Newberry Award the year it came out. So it is it is actually, like, really, really good and worth reading, if you like A Wrinkle in Time. I, I do. Um, all right. Is there any other games you want to go, talk about, or, or shall we move on to... I'm just going to uh, shout out Darkest Dungeon again, man. That game is <laughs> amazing. And okay. like my favorite thing since sliced bread. I love League of Legends, but Darkest Dungeon, like, I dream about it like I'm in third grade. Actually, <laughs> I remember I'm in a meeting with Joe Tong. I draw pictures of, of me killing him as a Darkest Dungeon character, and it brings me a lot of delight. <laughs> uh, okay. We should, well, you, you are very enthused, so why don't, why don't we go out of sequence then? And just tell us, tell us all about Darkest Dungeon. Um, Gord, you, you actually played it and talked about it a couple episodes ago, right? Yeah. So we're good. Let's let's hear a different perspective about why this is a good game. I think it just takes uh, a lot of RPG sensibilities and puts it on its head, like the fact that you have a party of badass people who can get scared, and then not only do you have to main, you know manage their stress, which is one of the primary new mechanics, but um, the stress manifests itself when they get reach a breaking point, and it's not just like oh they're impaired; they start to freak everybody else out, and that like. Sometimes they'll just start stabbing everyone. Well, well, my favorite thing, it caught me off guard, was really like, someone became paranoid. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? And I tried to heal them. He was like, I refuse your healing. And I'm like, oh my god, you're going to die! He died! (laughs) (laughs) And killed because he he went paranoid. I'm like, this game game is insane. And um, it's just that, that kind of aspect of like, yeah, I guess like that PTSD you would accumulate going into a dungeon getting banged in the face by a skeleton or an eldritch horror, uh, you know, would take a toll on you. And, and so, you know, dealing with that stress is really interesting. Plus, the narration is just fantastic. So there'll be a moment oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. when you get crit by an enemy and they'll go, a devastating blow, or um, confidence shaken by a single blow, and you're like, damn, you know? And it's, it's, yeah, it, it's fantastic. Really, really a well-done game. Actually wrote a fan email to the lead designer just uh, gushing about it. And he was like, cool, bro. Uh, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> Don't get too psycho on me, man. I, it's really, really good. Hey, at least you got a response back. That's better than most of the emails I send these days. I had a friend introduce me, so he had no choice. <laughs> Sweet. Can you introduce us? <laughs> you know, now you know him, right? Yeah, I'm dude. I'm hear back from uh, Gabe Newell. <laughs> Yeah, Gord wrote an email to Gabe Newell. He's he's still waiting on an email from there. Uh, okay, cool. So you also wanted to talk about Bloodborne, right? Uh, it's hard. It's that <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thrilling insights about Bloodborne. <laughs> the game is hard. Uh, yeah. 
So did you play Dark Souls and Demon Souls, or is this your first one? So I, I, I played them. I played them all. Well, no, okay. I played Demon Souls and Dark Souls. Uh, thing about Demon Souls, I bought it. it was, I pre-ordered it. I, I wanted it. It actually broke my PlayStation. Like it broke. <laughs> and so then I because I, you kept throwing your controller <laughs> at it, right? It no, broke you, and then it broke your PlayStation. Within the first hour, my the window. laser, uh, the the optic laser on the Blu-ray broke, and I'm like, what the <coughs> hell? So uh, yeah, I got a new PlayStation, and about a year later, I kind of let it sit broken for a while and moved on. I got it fixed, started trying to boot it up again, and it started making that new PlayStation skip. So I was like, I'm putting this game on hold. So I never actually played Demon Souls through, even though I had it. But uh, I played Dark Souls on PC quite a lot, and uh, that was that was awesome. So are you finding this game as good as or different? Is it? I know it's it's got guns in it, right? So but not, the guns don't really they're not that effective. It's just it's just more fast paced. So, you know, it's still the same, you know, time your animations correctly, look at your stamina. But um you know, it just flows differently. It's just um it's just faster. You have kind of these weapons that have two modes, like you kind of like a you know, a short stance and a long stance and you can kind of switch between them at, at a whim at any time and using that for effective combos is really the name of the game, but it still throws stuff at you all the time. And, you know, you like getting punched in the face, which I do. That's why I'm a video game producer. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's appropriate. All right, let's who I've, – I've lost track of what the order was now because we, we, we ruined it. Um, how about – that's fine. Oh, Other Paul. It's Williams. What about you? Okay. Hey, William. What, ga- Other- what games have you been playing, William? <laughs> All oh, right. Yeah, I, play, I played that too. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been, um, after, uh, the last podcast we had, um, our guests talked about some, like, their, uh, uh, casual mobile games that they were playing, and I'm like, yes, sweet. I need sweet casual mobile games to play while I'm, uh, take, doing my commute to work. And so I played some Pancake and Piamori. Um, and, uh, what I can say is I have no clue how, um, our guests got to, like, 70 on Pancake. That's just, like, completely ridiculous. I've gotten to eight, and that was a miracle-slash-accident. Um, and I, I can't see myself getting anywhere close to 70 unless I'm sitting there for actual 70 minutes trying to time my pancaking correctly. Um, but it certainly works as a good uh, thing to do on a commute, so yay. And uh, Pio Mori was uh, that tower building game with like these peeps on top of food Japanese lunches and stuff uh cool yeah and and, and and that one actually had a lot more fun with it was uh the physics and that is actually really cool and I really like I, I would I was, I was just as I was playing I was just going through my head like okay this is this is actually really sweet how could I recreate this because it seems like such a cool concept uh, to be doing for some reason. And uh, I, I think I wrote down some uh, stuff and I lost it. So I'll, I'll probably go revisit that at some point and just try to uh, uh, have some fun trying to program that at some point. Uh, outside of those casual games, I've mainly been playing a lot of League of Legends uh, because I'm watching a lot of League of Legends uh this the this weekend is the 
uh, mid-season invitational in which all the uh, regions get to fight each other. And I'm super excited because this is probably going to be very one-sided with Korea and China beating everyone really bad. No but, way, uh, TSM. <laughs> I want TSM to win so bad, but I, I'm trying to be realistic here. Like, after, after watching the Korean finals and seeing um, SKT's uh, subs just completely demolish the, uh, the other team in the finals, I'm, I just look at that and go, like, uh, this is, like, probably the strongest region in the world. And the, uh, like, the B team got there. There's, there's no way that any other team can compete. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. <laughs> but I, 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 really, I, I do want to see, I, I mean, I'm really excited about the uh, Fnatic TSM match uh, because it'll, we finally get the uh, long-awaited EU versus NA showdown yeah. that everyone's been trash-talking each other let me about. Ask you a question. Let me ask you a question because we've been debating this in the office. Did you prefer the EU finals or the NA finals? As a as a spectator, as a spectator, the EU finals were way better. Um, That's people the just going really <laughs> crazy and doing really yeah. dumb things, but it's it just makes for way more entertaining than TSM just like throwing uh, with just way better play. You know, I, I would prefer all the really messy and uh, exciting finals every time. That is the correct answer. Yep. Uh, all right, I'll be quick. Uh, I played some okay. Lemelana 2 Alpha, which was good, but uh, Justin is going to hate the controls because they're uh, exactly the same as the previous game. You can't uh, grab onto ladders or ropes <laughs> while you are jumping, <laughs> and you can't change your uh, trajectory while you're in the air. Uh, there was uh, there there weren't any weapons or anything. No no doorways worked, um, but it was pretty cool to see the uh, level design and stuff. Played some uh, Orange Juice 100%, which is a Japanese uh, adorable board game. Digital board game? I don't think it would work on uh, on a tabletop, but it's uh, adorable and uh, um, pretty fun. It's like Risk on a Monopoly board, maybe? Uh, anyway, uh, I, played some, I played about 10 minutes of Woe Dave, which is like uh, the original... Uh, Mario Brothers gameplay. Uh, there, there was a dedicated cartridge for it, but uh, it was also in the Mario Brothers 3 um, game where if you press a button while you were standing on a uh, uh, the square that somebody else ended their turn on, uh, you got into a fight and you could run around and jump on platforms and stuff. Uh, I played some more Wizard's Lizard. I don't know why. I, I just, I still feel like there's just nothing I'm doing to make any progress. I played uh, half an hour of Cook Serve Delicious, which was fun, and I'll probably go back. Pixel Piracy was fun. Uh, I think it's procedurally generated. Maybe it's bespoke. Um, uh, you get to be a pirate, and it's a uh, sort of like a, a lemmings roguelike. Uh, you wander around to highlands and uh, fight other ships in some. Sweet ship-to-ship pirate battles. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. All right, let's move on. All right, so let's do, let's do an interview. Let's, let's get through as much of this as we can. All right. Am, am I talking to no one? Can anyone? Yeah, no, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Transition noise. And just right, not if you can hear me. Okay. So we've got, we've got listener questions. We got several of them. I'm going to try. 
try to get through the most relevant ones. Um, if we don't read your question, we read them all, and I'm sorry, and a lot of them were sent in. So... Just to prioritize yeah, hard priorities. Let's do it. Yeah, all right. So, Dino0896 says, I did be interested... Uh, most of the, these are all these are all about Halo. Uh, none of them about PB Winterbottom. That's I'm okay. Sorry. I... Totally understand. You should. I uh, <laughs> I asked I asked some questions about PB Winterbottom, so we can maybe get to this at the end. Um, so Dino0986 says, I'd be interested in knowing about what type of development tools were used in the process of making the game. I know they must have had the engine running on the PC at one point, so any quirks they ran into would be neat to know as well. Now, I know you probably have an NDA for some of that stuff, but is there anything you can tell this fellow generally about the tools. Um, yeah, you know, all, all of the tools, uh, well, the vast majority of the tools were, were proprietary. Um, so, so we, we, we really didn't use any tools that even if I, even if I said the names, you wouldn't recognize them. Um, you know, the artists use tools like Max and Maya. So th- those are, uh, sort of industry standard. Um, but, uh, but everything else, uh, was, was custom made, um, uh, at Bungie for Halo. All right. Frackadak wants to know what you think of Halo Online gutting Halo 3 and sort of the community project to detox it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, honestly, I, I haven't, I haven't been following that, uh, that super closely. So I don't have a, I don't have a crazy opinion about that. Rob wants to know what the most memorable moment from the development of Halo 3 was, and if you felt any pressure to make sure that the multiplayer in 3 was better than 2, and whether that caused issues if it did. Um, you know, we, we, felt, we felt pressure, we felt huge amounts of pressure uh, to, uh, for everything, for, for multiplayer, for the campaign, um, to deliver on the player's expectations, uh, uh, for, for every Halo game that we worked on. Um, as for, you know, my favorite development moment, um, certainly the, the beginning of Halo 3, uh, was super fun for me because one, it was, it was sort of my, my, I was a brand new producer. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and we had a, a super small team, uh, about five or six guys, uh, working on Halo multiplayer for, for Halo 3. Um, and it was just a really, really fun, uh, close-knit group, uh, and, and we really had sort of blue sky ideas about, about what we wanted to do in terms of, uh, you know, for, for multiplayer for Halo 3. Um, and I just, I just look back on, on that time, uh, with, with real fondness. Right. He also wants to know what your favorite map is in Halo 3. Uh, you know, that's like, Asking you to pick among your children, um, so I'll give you five. <laughs> They're uh, all lockout. No, no, lockout's not in Halo Three. If lockout was in Halo, I 3, know, I know. Uh, Construct, Guardian, uh, High Ground, um, the Pit, and Valhalla. In uh, Elson Three says, "Why did you decide to include abilities such as jetpack, sprint, armor lock, etc., in Reach?" Looking back, do you feel like it took away from the Halo feel of things? Yeah, I mean the answer the answer uh, to that is um, you know we we felt we felt uh, uh, a lot of pressure to uh, in reach to to sort of go above and beyond um, what what multiplayer had been in in Halos one through three, and we wanted to do something 
uh, innovative and, and fresh and, and bring back some life to, to Halo multiplayer. Um, do I think it, do I think it, uh, took away from what, you know, what your sort of core expectations were for Halo multiplayer? Yeah, you know, I look back on, on equipment and I, and I, and I think it maybe wasn't the, uh, the most successful uh, thing that we could have done. Um, I, I think, I think certain pieces of equipment actually worked really well. Um, and I think a lot of those concepts, uh, carried on into Destiny. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I do think that, uh, uh, some of, some pieces of equipment were misses and, and, uh, you know, looking back, uh, I would have done things a little bit differently, um, you know, but hindsight is 2020. Armor lock is really right. satisfying. I agree, yeah. <laughs> it really, it really changes sort of the core combat loop of, of Halo multiplayer though. Um, and you know, arguably not in a good way, but uh, it depends. All right. Uh, similarly, I guess along that vein, Serpex says, if you could go back and change anything about Halo 3, what would you change? You know... Um, it's okay. You can say the game. Well, perfect. you know, it's, it's certainly not perfect, but uh, gosh, what would I change about Halo 3? Um, you know, maybe I would have... So, so keep in mind on Halo 3, I was, I was really focused on multiplayer. Um, uh, I think I would have, I think I would have, uh, cut some of the less successful multiplayer maps earlier, um, and, and sort of, uh, like revamped what we were trying to do there, uh, and, and offered more competitive, uh, like arena style maps, uh, in our final offering. All right, and then the last question from Antique Curtains is, did you play a hand in crafting the Forge World map Cliffhanger, and why is it the best map ever? Uh, I have no idea why it's the best map ever. I did not play a hand in, in creating that map. Uh, I, did, I did have a hand in, uh, in the development of Forge World, which was, which was uh, a real high point in the development of Halo Reach. That, those are all of, the, all of the fan questions we have space for. Um, Hopefully that is good enough. Um, let's let's get to the other questions though. So um, we'll start with with you, Joe, because you're already sort of in in the zone. So can you very briefly take us sort of down your career path from Microsoft to Riot? How did you sort of get into game development? What sort of work were you interested in when you first started, and sort of how did that play out for you? Yeah. Uh, okay. So. Uh, so actually, uh, I was also a, uh, a grad student in English literature. Uh, I was getting my, my PhD at the uh, University of uh, Indiana University Bloomington. Um, uh, when I left and, and I sort of got my master's, dropped out, um, uh, drove across country, ended up in Seattle, ended up getting a job temping at Microsoft, worked at Microsoft for um, you know, six or seven years, uh, in digital media, um, got bored, uh, and, and had been playing a ton of Halo, um, and, uh, was, turned out I was really good at Halo. I was, um, uh, you know, I would play with my team and, and sort of crush everyone and then go to land parties and, and, uh, crush those guys. Um, and one day, 
that Halo 2 Alpha was was going on at Microsoft and um, and Bungie was testing online leaderboards uh, at the time. Um, and for for a pretty extended period of time, uh, I was at the top of all three leaderboards that they were testing. So I literally took a a, a screenshot of my TV um, and I sent uh, I sent the screenshot. I I like re- reverse looked up the president of Bungie. Uh, in the Microsoft Global Address book, um, and I sent him an email saying, you know, I, I'm. It was really smarmy. It was something like, uh, I could beat anyone in the studio at Halo. You should hire me. Um, and you know, I, I didn't think for a second that he would actually respond. That you know, I didn't, you know, maybe one in a thousand chance that he responds. Um, and he wrote me back like five minutes later, uh, and, and he said, Hey, you should, you should come in and, and meet the team. Um, so I met the team, uh, I, I interviewed, uh, in, in the next week and, uh, you know, a few weeks later, I was the producer for Halo 3 multiplayer, um, which was sort of blew my mind. Um, and that's how I got into the industry. And, uh, I always tell people when I tell that story that, um, I would probably never hire myself today. <laughs> yeah, just goes to show that sometimes cold calling people works, it, right? It does work. It does work. Paul, same question. Where did you? So you went from founding a very small indie studio to working at a very relatively large one. So what? What does your journey through into the industry look like? It goes back uh, farther than that. Um, I used to be a high school biology teacher, and I. Uh, flipped out and decided that wasn't for me. So I, I was looking for a job in the games industry. This is around 2003. And uh, couldn't get a job. No one wanted to hire a teacher with no skills. Uh, I wasn't a programmer or an artist. So I went to a seminar on how to get into the games industry, and I learned about roles in production, QA, and design. So I'm like, well, I, you know, that sounds, sounds like the right way in. I'm going to try this thing called QA. And um, I applied for a lot of jobs in the Los Angeles area. That's where I'm from. And, you know, again, no one took a cold call from, you know, a random teacher, but uh, uh, I needed to get a job, so I started working at EB Games, and I was selling uh, video game retail. And one day this man brought a shrink-wrapped copy, maybe like 10 shrink-wrapped copies of Barbie games. And I was like, hey, do you work for the Vendee Universal? That was the company that he had, the games had come from. He said, yes. I'm like, are you hiring QA people? And he said, yes. And I sent in my resume, and I got a job in QA, and I worked on uh, Tribes Vengeance. It was a multiplayer PC game. I worked on that. Um, and then I ended my year in QA working for Barbie and the Magic of Pegasus, which is truly, truly <laughs> my pride and joys. I am forever grateful to have worked on that game. So I've literally clawed my way up from working on Barbie. Um, fast forward years later, Decided to go to graduate school at USC in their interactive media program and um, was looking for internships. And one day I went on Craigslist and I found an internship for uh, office manager. No, not an internship. I found an office manager position for a startup video game company in Santa Monica. And I was like, I need experience as a developer so I can you know, move into a game developer job. And I sent my resume in and I got a call back from a guy named Mark Merrill who was the president of a very small company called Riot Games that was just forming, and uh, they were looking to build out staff. So uh, I interviewed for this office manager position, and since I was in graduate school, I didn't have the time uh, to be able to commit to that. 
But, uh, you know, we talked a lot about games and their philosophy of games and my philosophy of games, and uh, they offered me an internship. So I became Riot Games' first intern in 2006, and I stayed there for two years while I was in grad school uh, working on games with my colleagues uh, in school. And um, while I was at Riot, I started working on a game called PB Winterbottom with my, my friend Matt Corba, who's a classmate of mine, and we created this student game that got into the uh, Independent Games Festival at GDC in 2008. We were able to take the game there and demo it to a wide array of people, which got publisher interest in the game, and then we signed a deal with 2K Games in the summer of 2008 to bring the game to Xbox Live. And so we founded the Odd Gentleman at that point, built a small team to go and build that game for commercial release. And at that point, you know, I, I amicably parted ways with my friends at Riot. There was about 30 people at the company at that time. And I went and did Winterbottom. So we, we worked on that game for 14 months, uh, released it in February of 2010 to really good uh, critical reviews in terms of commercial success. It was not that good. But uh, I got our name out as a studio, and we started working on other projects. And then I took a long vacation um, later on that year and decided, you know, I wanted to focus uh, back on production. I was having to do production and business development for the studio. And, I'm, you know, I'm a games producer. That's what I want to work on. So I decided to go back to Riot to get some, some mentorship from my old friends there. And I've been back for five years now. How's that mentorship going? Great. <laughs> Get to work with guys like Joe. I learned a lot from him. Also learned a lot of not what to do, which is also very useful as well. So, so going, I guess go, going back to uh, Riot, Joe, you've you've worked on Halo, you've worked on League of Legends. They're both franchises with really, really active competitive scenes. Would you be able to talk, I guess, about? how Halo and League are alike in some regards and some fundamental differences and sort of how you have to think about producing a game for, that is satisfyingly competitive for these two audiences. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a huge, huge topic. Uh, I, I mean, we're, we have all the time in the world. <laughs> you're the ones with the, with the constraints, so... Yeah, you know... They they are really similar in some ways, and 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 I often I often sort of look back at 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 Halo Three, and Halo Three was sort of uh, a point when when the MLG was really taking off, and pro gaming was was really uh, had all this potential, and and I and I look back at that moment, and I think God, what a missed opportunity um, to to really like build out esports. Um, which is something Riot has done so successfully. Um, you know, I, I sort of think about a parallel universe where where Halo grabbed the reins, uh, you know, ten years ago, and 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 how different things things could look. Um, but uh, but you know, they're also incredibly different from the perspective of, um, you know, when, when I joined the the multiplayer team of Halo Three, like I said, it was it was a handful of people. Um, compared to, it was, it was a less than 5% of the total, uh, staff on, on a Halo game. Um, compared to Riot, which is really focused on competitive, uh, competitive multiplayer gaming vis-a-vis League of Legends, um, 
the the way that the the design teams approach competitive multiplayer is also very very different. Um, you know the the sophistication that is applied to um, uh, multiplayer in 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 League of Legends is is really uh, orders of magnitude beyond anything that that we had established at at Bungie working on Halo. Um, so you know it's 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 been a really really awesome experience for me to to work on both franchises for uh, for different reasons, but. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just can't, I can't say enough how, how interesting it is to me to, to be a riot right now where League of Legends is, is, um, such a huge game, such a beloved game, um, and, and also to, to be a part of the team that's, that's making it on a daily basis. It's, it's, uh, it's a huge privilege for me. Um, he means it. <laughs> You're both in production. I'm not sure how many of our listeners have a good grasp on uh, what game production looks like at the management level. Can you briefly walk us through what the difference between uh, the executive producer's job versus a designer and discuss what your responsibilities were? Oh, man, this is, this is an interesting one. So I think you can break it down this way. It's about roles and responsibilities, right? So the role of a designer is to work on the mechanics and the vision for how the game should play and interact. The role of a producer is to build an appropriate team to get that game made and guide and mentor uh, the team to the right kind of product direction. So you can think of it like the executive producer, in my mind, is the coach, right? They kind of handpick the team. They, they, they lead the team to victory. But ultimately, you know, there's tons of different people working on it collaboratively together. A game is art and design and sound and music and, and, and tech all coming together to make something more than some of its parts. So the executive producer's job is to, to guide that um, out the door, and the designer's day job is to create the mechanics and the fun. Uh, I'll, I'll only add one one other thing to that, which is um, production means a lot of different things in the industry. So, you know, at 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 one studio, production might literally mean schedule monkey. Uh, at and at another studio, it might mean creative director. Right. Um, so there is a huge spectrum uh, of. Uh, of what the definition of production is uh, in the games industry, um, and I think um, you really gotta, you really, it, it, it's really hard from the outside to, to sort of understand that that's something you have to navigate if you want to get into production. Um, you may really want to be in production, but the model of production that you that that you get into at, at a particular studio might not be the one that you were interested in in the first place. Where do you guys both stand in terms of the development of League of Legends? What are your individual responsibilities? Um, I am responsible for in-game events for League of Legends. So we do, um, what my team does is we work and build out an experience and then work with different teams in the company to collaborate and bring it to life. So an example would be April Fool's. Our team was responsible for coming up with, like, the joke and and uh, the the kind of theme of what this year's April Fool event was, and we partnered with a, a gameplay team to um, uh, to bring it to life, which was, you know, uh, an update to the classic Earth Mode, which we released last year. And then we worked with the Skins team and a couple other teams to, to put together a really cool experience for everybody. So that's my direct responsibilities at this time. In the past, I ran the champion team on League, for two and a half years. So every champion from Caitlyn to Lucian are my fault, and you can blame me for them. Just kidding. Not kidding. 
Um, <laughs> I am uh, I am the uh, the gameplay lead for League of Legends, so uh, my responsibility is is um, kind of an easy way to think about it is is sort of everything after you hit the play button to uh, to the end of a game. Uh, uh, that's a that's a pretty uh, like raw way of, of describing it, but it's, it's sort of what I'm what I'm responsible for. Um, you know, that said, uh, that's much more uh, of a responsibility to um, to building the team that actually makes all of that possible. Um, you know, I'm not the guy going in and 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 um, doing doing the stuff that makes that possible. I'm I'm uh, helping to to build and lead the team. Um, all right. Well, I think we're we're reaching the end of of your time. It's a little shorter than a normal episode, uh, but thank you so much for uh, for coming on and answering uh, listener questions and and some of ours. Um, we'd love to have you back. I'm sure that there are more listeners that would like to have questions answered if you are ever interested in doing that again. Yeah, but thanks um, for having us, you guys. It's a it's a good time. Yeah, nice to meet you guys. Yeah. This is fun. Yeah. Um, so, if people if people wanted to find you guys on the internet, is there a place where they should go should, if they wanted to follow you on Twitter or I don't, I don't know do individual websites that sort of thing? Anything you wanna you wanna sort of promote? Uh, I have a Twitter account. It's p a b r o pabro, and I, I just I just ram randomly spam stuff about tacos all the time. So if anyone wants to learn about tacos, you can follow me on Twitter. Ooh. I mean. Pretty good at tacos. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Joe. What about you? Uh, I, I'm actually pretty anonymous on the internet. Uh, ever since uh, I, I was public about my my uh, gamer tag in Halo, and hackers <laughs> ruined my life. So oh. that man, um, don't I know it? You were you were pretty tough to track yeah, down. I, I stay uh, try and stay below the radar. All right, and of course, Riot you can, has you its can, own. Uh, contact website. me through Paul. Hey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, but the be, message has uh, to be about tacos. Correct. Yeah. It, all right. Um, if they wanted to contact us, uh, you can email us uh, theredpagespodcast at gmail.com or redpagespodcast on Twitter or redpagespodcast on Facebook. Um, we do have one last question that we ask all of our guests, and you can take time to think about it if you need it. But the question is what is your favorite type of cheese? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> Humboldt, Humboldt is it, is it taco cheese? Humboldt fog for me. All right. English cheddar. I'm simple. <laughs> All, right. All right. I don't know who our next guest is, but uh, if she's not our next guest, she is a soon guest. Uh, Nina Freeman will be returning to be on another episode with us to talk more about what she's doing and her new job working at the Fulbright Company making another Gone Home game or Space Gone Home or whatever gone it is. Home in space. It's the 2000s yep. now. In space. No one can hear you go yep. home. I guess that's that's it, then. That's the end of this episode. Um, from all of us here at the Red Pages Podcast, uh, c- catchphrase, catchphrase. Gotcha. If you're going to confess to a crime, uh, maybe do that off the record when we stop recording. Right. Make, right. Make sure, or make sure that uh, statute of limitations have passed. Uh, so you well, I'll, 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 I'll stick to the I'll stick to the interesting media that I've consumed lately. How about that?